0: Hello, everyone. My guest today is Jay Fulcher. He's the chairman and CEO at Zenefits. He brings more than 20 years of experience in leading both public and private technology companies to Zenefits. Before the company, Jay served as CEO of another company and Agile Software. Before that, he was senior executive at both PeopleSoft and SAP. He's a member of the Global Leadership Council at the Lucas Graduate School and College of Business at San Jose State University. Jay, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's go, Nathan. All right, so you have uh, fun stories to tell. You know, I I wanna kinda hop right in and then talk about where Zenefits is today and where you and the organization is going on the future. But first, I've gotta talk about something only you can talk about, which is taking over a unicorn, right, Uh, amongst all kinds of different things. Your first week, you're having to cut almost 50% of the company, but still keep everyone motivated around and unite around a new vision. What was that first week like back in 2017?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the way any CEO would want to kind of start their <laughs> tenure, that's for sure. Um, but in in some ways, it was kind of an exciting time, right? We were reimagining uh, what we thought Zenovitz could really mean to the marketplace. Um, it did require really a resizing of the organization and a rethinking of, of really our business strategy. And one of the reasons why I was really attracted to the opportunity when you know, the the partners at Andreas and Horowitz called me to see if I would be interested was the fact that, you know, the company had already accomplished so much. And we had already done some really, really incredible things in terms of establishing some kind of land speed records for SaaS company growth. But what we hadn't yet done is we hadn't necessarily perfected our business model and really what we wanted to do with the company in terms of our value proposition. And so, you know, um, it's not often when you have, thousands of customers and plenty of cash with which to be able to kind of affect this pivot and to go in this new direction. And so it was a hard first week, but it was also one that Basically, was really the thing to kind of set the tone for where we are today.
0: In 2016, this was reported by CNBC. The the annual recurring revenue, by the middle of that uh, that year, was about 60 million, uh, down from obviously projections that Parker had raised on previously, around a four billion dollar valuation. Their reports valuation was cut in half, and that you know there was about 100 million lost the first six months in 2016. All that being said, you know that at that time, the company was basically on track to run out of cash by the end of 2017. Let me ask you a question about VC. Uh, a lot of times people will say when you raise venture capital, it just, you have to be on a different track than what you would rationally do because of the nature of VC and timetables. How much of managing Andreessen and other investors' expectations, how many, how much resetting did you have to do in that first couple of months on the job?
1: Well, first of all, I'm really fortunate because we have very sophisticated investors who really understood the overall opportunity that the company was trying to pursue. And quite frankly, was able to kind of get over Some of the crisis management work that the company obviously had to work through when we were kind of going through some of our compliance challenges. Um, I didn't really have to reset a lot of expectations. Instead, what I basically tried to help everyone understand is that I felt like it was more important for us instead of being a a broker uh, of of insurance, uh, we needed to kind of get back to our roots of being a, a technology company. And we felt that by being a technology company, we could actually instead of competing with brokers, we could collaborate and cooperate with brokers in bringing a completely new paradigm, new value proposition to small business, where you could have HR payroll and benefits products side by side on a single platform and do all of the things that I think Zenovitz now has become pretty broadly known for. So it really didn't take a lot of rethinking with the investment group. Um, In general, what we really tried to do was we tried to resize um kind of the the cost of goods and the expense line for the business um you know you talked about being out of cash in 2017 that's clearly not the case at this point we have actually several years uh of runway to go if we never raised another dime um and we have you know sort of cash flow break even in our sites and so we've got we've got a lot of nice momentum now where the company's really repivoted itself in a very healthy way to be a sustainable long-term high growth business.
0: What were one of the, or two of the things you did to really control the the cost of goods sold? That's obviously what extended your runway significantly and now has put break even in your, in your crosshairs.
1: Yeah, there's several things, Nathan. I I think number one, um, as you say, we we did in fact kind of right size the company. And so um, as hard as that was, because these are employees that quite frankly did nothing wrong. They were actually stellar performers. They did great things for Zenefits. But we basically had to get to a better um, headcount perspective. And part of that was not only in San Francisco, but across the the three or four offices we have around the world. So that was one piece. second piece was, as I said before, um, basically no longer being a broker and instead relying on third-party brokers to basically build their brokerage and advisory services on top of the Zenefits platform. That allowed me to take a lot of the headcount and a lot of the focus and the organizational calories that are expended around insurance brokerage and instead shift that to these partners. And it allowed us to retreat and kind of double down on being this tech platform. I think those two things were substantial um, kind of resizing elements that allowed us basically to kind of be in a very different place from a a cash burn perspective, as well as uh, making sure that, you know, the the couple hundred million dollars that we had to to work with um, was going to really serve us over the course of the next several years.
0: Jay, did you have to go through a period, you know, when you're pushing that insurance line of business off to now brokers doing it and building it themselves on top of your tech platform? That sounds like that's what the refocus was. But did you temporarily lose revenue as you push that revenue stream essentially onto somebody else to manage?
1: Yeah. You know, the initial transition of what we call our book of business, which was the insurance business that we had, and that was a very large business at the time. You know, this is. um, Can you quantify it? Yeah, that's a, you know, a business uh, that was coming up on $100 million in revenue. Um, that was a, a, a substantial kind of a transition as you shift that to third parties. And so for some of the customers who potentially wanted to work with any and, and whatever broker they wanted, or if in fact they really preferred to work with Zenovitz as their broker, it gave them an opportunity to think about for the first time, well, what brokerage relationship do I really want? And so there's some breakage that occurs in that kind of a transition, which is exactly what we what we expected. We were really excited in that, not only in all of the modeling that we did in that process, um, we actually lost a lot fewer customers than we sort of expected to. But the most exciting part of this is that when we moved uh, everyone um, off of our brokerage, we also basically moved from a freemium model where people got our software for free in exchange for the brokerage commissions that we, that we received to a, a subscription pay model. And, you know, the thing that was clearly a huge point of validation for me that I was excited about is more than 70% of our customers moved with us.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, today, are you pure play SaaS company with SaaS-like margins in the 85% range?
1: That's right. We don't. Don't have margins in the eighty-five percent range, and I know that in the past I've heard you say that you talked to a lot of companies that claim that. I, I'm actually dubious about that, but the
0: reality is, you is think, that you think you um, think you think they're lying. They're not. They're not putting costs in the right spot.
1: I, I think that I think that there is a lot of uh, interpretation around COGS. And what do you what so, do you put above the line? Well, I, I think um, you know, kind of rather than going through sort of an accounting tutorial, I think it's more of a, a, a situation where there's a certain amount of fixed costs that are sort of at a at a floor we're sort of at the 65% gross margin place right now today. Over time, by the way, each incremental dollar I put on top of that floor causes that 65% to start to get into the 85% range. So I do believe that we have some targets that get us into the 80% plus gross margin range. My view is I believe that we're sort of somewhere between 12 to 18 to potentially 24 months away from that.
0: Got it. Are you though today a pure play SaaS company or are there other professional services kind of high cost? We're,
1: we're a we're a pure play subscription uh, software company and we're, we're basically focused on HR, payroll, and we think really importantly benefits. So it's on a single platform and that's specifically focused on what we call SMB companies, which are defined as sort of one to 500 employees.
0: Got it. And in that range, I mean, if an SMB kind of company listening right now wants to sign up with you, what are they going to Pay to get kind of a base layer in, in month one?
1: Yeah. I mean, it can be for really small companies that are maybe less than 10 employees or less than 20 employees, it can be as inexpensive as $5 per employee per month, uh, on up to potentially $50 per employee per month. So, you know, our average contract value today is in the sort of four dollars to $5,000 range a month. Um, but we, a month? Uh, well, we have them. Per month or per year, it depends on the size of the company. Um, but the the thing that we're pretty excited about is that we've got a um, we've got a fairly uh, broad and deep set of capabilities across those three uh, product areas that I mentioned, and that really allows us to um, provide value to companies of all sizes. And so, on the one end of the spectrum, we might have somebody paying us ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year for what Zenefits is managing across HR, payroll, and benefits. In other cases, we may have somebody paying us $150,000 a year. But on average, we probably mostly have the, the bulk of our contract values are somewhere between five dollars and $15,000 per year.
0: And I want to get into more kind of as a CEO, how you're managing all the different cohort analysis. Not only do you have different customer yeah. cohorts, you also have a bunch of different products that probably all have separate unit economics, depending on where people get onboarded. I want to talk about that in a second. Uh, but first... Tell us about the success here. How many customers have you scaled to today?
1: Yeah, so what's really, I think, exciting for us is that um, we have basically around 10,000 customers. Um, These are customers that are in some um, cohort consuming some or all of our product line. Um, We've been able to, as I said before, we've been able to not only convert the customers that we have today, but we've also been able to kind of expand uh, the amount of dependence that they have on our products for how they run their business. Um, today we're retaining more than 90% of our customers who have an annual contract with us.
0: Okay. So and that's really, logo or revenue retention?
1: That's a uh, logo.
0: And that's gross or net?
1: Uh, that's gross.
0: Okay. That's great.
1: And then on the, on the negative net churn, you know, what's really cool for us is that obviously, to the degree that we do churn some of our revenue, and it's for us in the fifteen to twenty percent range. Uh, and by the way, for SMB, when you're talking with especially that's super small companies, that's we think that that's actually pretty much best in class. But one of the things that we're excited about is uh, because of the negative net churn with new products and new seats, we're more than making up for the amount of churn revenue we have every month. What does expansion so look like? We're really pleased with. You know, we got a we got a really really big customer base that's very much rooting for Zenefits. They really like what we've done for them over the years. Um, I think they're really glad to see that we're back on track. And I think that in general, because we've been able to sort of um, stabilize the business here over the course of last year, now we're back to really growing the company pretty quickly. I mean, the SaaS part of our business, separate from the insurance business is right now growing 100% year over year. And we expect
0: it to do the same this year. Can you share what that's at today? Run rate wise? I'm not
1: gonna share. You know, I I know you've got uh, CEOs all over the map around how they handle this. Do do you listen
0: listen to, have you listened to episodes before? I have nice Jay. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited about I'm that.
1: Sh- I'm a fan of your show.
0: <laughs> now I'm not going to go soft on you the rest of the interview though. <laughs> no,
1: I know. I, I understand that. I, w- I would expect nothing. hundred percent
0: year over year growth. Though. I mean, that, that's good stuff. Um, tell me though, I am doing some sort of math here wrong. If I take those 10,000 customers times that four grand that puts you at 40 million a month. I know you're not there maybe in a couple of years. I know you're not there yet, but where am I doing that math wrong?
1: Well, obviously, first of all, it's a bell curve, right? So you've got you've got customers at all different places in terms of of, of how much revenue and how much revenue per customer. The other the other part of it is that uh, it's not all SaaS. Some of it's also a part of our brokerage business. And one of the things uh. that we think is kind of unique about our insurance business is that when we did move that to a third party, we created a rev share vehicle over the course of several years now, where we claim some of that revenue as does some of our partner fairly soon we're going to be announcing some additional new broker partners who will also be starting to build some of that capability on top of our platform which means it gives us an opportunity to sell more of our HR and payroll and benefits products to their, their customer bases conversely they're able to use you know some of the efficiency that we provide with our tech uh, into their insurance book so it's a it's a very kind of a symbiotic a relationship with the broker community, we're excited about that, but it's it's sort of um, in motion. So some of what you're doing there is you're kind of conflating our SaaS business with our insurance business, and of course there's customers of all different sizes.
0: Understood, understood. Um, I won't try and pin you down on a specific number, but I am interested. I mean, do, when you look at the growth of the company in terms of run rate, I mean, do you think you break a hundred million this year, or have you already broken that? Can you, can you give me a big range? I, I, think,
1: I, I think the best thing I can tell you, Nathan, is the
0: next. Uh, imminent milestone that we're focused on is hundred million bucks. Great. That's perfect. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, so g- give me, give me more, uh, give me more about the breakdown of the team today. So obviously I had to go through some restructuring. A lot of that was tied to costs on supporting that insurance business. What's the team size today and what's the the breakdown look like?
1: Yeah. So we have about 500 employees and we probably have another 150 or so contractors around the world that um, are, are working with us. Um, we have a headquarters here in San Francisco, and then we have a very large operation in Tempe, Arizona. If you're familiar with sort of the greater Phoenix area, that's a, a hub for insurance and benefits companies. And so we've, um, we've loved being down there because it's been a great source of talent for us. We also have a fairly large office now in Vancouver, BC. Okay, um, That's primarily an R&D office, although it's now got some multifunctional parts. And then we've got a uh, a large group of about 50 employees or so in Bangalore. Bangalore. So um, that's kind of the current mix. Um, we just opened a satellite office elsewhere here in the Bay Area uh, to try to help with traffic issues and, you know, uh, ease of, uh, of of commute and that kind of thing. This is interesting. I think everybody's aware that, you know, the Bay Area is um, struggling with with being a place that can kind of manage Yep. Um, the needs of a young workforce, and so we're we're working on that, and we've got some plans that I'm not really going to divulge about some additional offices that we're about ready to open, but that'll come uh, between now and the end of the year.
0: Love hearing that. You said you've got break even in the crosshairs. If you've got them in the crosshairs and people really believe it, that means you have an incredible amount of leverage when it comes to capital markets. Do you see a raise yep. happening in the near future for Zenefits, or or no? You know,
1: I've never known a credible CEO at least that would say that they're not done raising money um, because you never know. Yep. Uh, You know, one of the things that's really interesting in this day and age uh, is that I think we're in a really frothy kind of uh, M&A market. And so, you know, we're constantly looking at companies and frankly, we're constantly pitched with uh, different companies that are are looking uh, for a home. And so there could be some scenarios here where we would do some additional things um, that being said, I've got a three-year plan that doesn't require us to raise any additional capital. And that frankly gets us not only to break even, but to gets us to profitability well before that three-year period. And mm-hmm. so we're excited about being more or less in control of our own financial destiny.
0: Are you in M&A talks right now with anybody in terms of Zenith exiting?
1: Uh, no, we're not. And I, I, you know, our company's not for sale. It's, uh, we, we're really excited about what we're doing, you know. Um, as you come know, on, Jay, to- totally
0: not. First, if 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 Benioff comes and offers you 10x ARR, you don't look at that.
1: Oh, we look at everything. You ask me, am I in a conversation with somebody? I know I'm not. Um, and it, you know, if, if you know something about my background, you know that I've been relatively active and successful in monetizing companies over the years. So, you, you know, uh, for me, my job is to make sure all the options are on the table. Whether we take the company public. Whether, whether there's some other kind of a monetization event out there, um, quite frankly, like I said, you know, or maybe I think you were the one that said it. Um, you know, having the leverage to be able to make those choices as and when you want to is is basically the key for any entrepreneur. It's huge,
0: it's huge. Yeah, your space is interesting. You know, in preparing for this interview, Colin Day was just on from iSim's, right? And I mean, he's built a bootstrapped 180 million dollar AR company doing basically one thing on on what you guys do. Then there's other companies like Gusto that have raised a bunch, but they're attacking you kind of from a different angle. And it's funny. I mean, when you look at the space and you look at all the competition, if you had, I'm going to make this up, a billion dollars from a private equity firm, you. I mean, there's a lot of these companies you could roll up at essentially like 0.7 to 09 x ARR, and basically, if you thought you could buy and get leverage across, you know, having all these assets under one thing, you could do it. I mean, do do you think like that, or is it something you're considering? Or, well, I, first of all, I I think that there
1: are some segment of the private equity market or the private equity community that does think that way. Um, that that's actually been a fairly proven model for them in different enterprise sectors. I think the HR space, and I think I think you're well aware of this, the HR space is an interesting one because it's so damn big. It's just such a big opportunity. I mean, 99.7% of all companies in the U.S. have fewer than 500 employees. So this is such a huge market. Um, globally, this is about a $95 billion market. And so for a lot of us, we have sort of the luxury of being able to follow in the footsteps of companies that have come before us that are, that are now pretty much incumbent companies that have built software maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and in some cases, unfortunately, even longer ago than that. And that really doesn't serve the needs of what I consider to be sort of this new nature of work. You know, these are young companies that have only digital natives uh, that are working in them. They expect a product to work on a, on a cell phone. They expect um, mobility. They expect um, products to be able to talk to one another, uh, seamless integration. I mean, you you don't need the, the commercial here, but you know, this ability for young businesses, especially not to be distracted by all the administration of running a business is crucial. And what is really cool. I think about what we're trying to go do is that we have this opportunity to not only do that with our own products, but with a really neat ecosystem of partners that kind of extend our capabilities in ways that, you know, companies did not have prior to this. And they certainly didn't have it with the likes of ADP or any of the Paycoms, Paylocities, you know, the companies that have been at this for a long time. In the last five years, we've made a lot of progress here and we've driven and built our software with what I consider to be sort of the latest and greatest technology capability that lets these young companies focus on driving their businesses.
0: Jay, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number 1, what's your favorite business book?
1: Yeah, so my favorite book, um this is a hard one cuz I I love I love all of them. I love so many of them, but I my 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 friend Ben Horowitz wrote The Hard Thing About Hard Things and that is a phenomenal book for any entrepreneur that's listening. If you've not not only read it, but then begun to ear it and and frankly use it as a reference point, I really recommend you do that.
0: Number two, Jay, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now?
1: So I had the luxury of reporting to both Dave Duffield at PeopleSoft and Hasso Plotner at SAP. And that just means I'm really old. But it also means that I, I, I got to see these guys up close and personal. So I learned so much from those guys. But the guy that right now, I think, is really blazing a trail for what I consider to be sort of next generation CEO thinking is Mark Benioff. I think Mark's done a great job around being a socially responsible company. I think he's done a great job around the one 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 model. Uh, I love what what he means around the whole diversity and inclusion uh, ethic. And then lastly, you know, he built a platform business in a SaaS context when people, kind of made fun of them for doing it. And now look at all of us. We're all wanting to build a business like that. That's exactly what we're doing here at Zenefits.
0: Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool for building your business?
1: Well, you know, Zenefits is my number one, but I really like um, Slack. You know, we extend our our solution where people don't actually need to leave Slack in order to be able to fire off transactions in Zenefits. I think that's really cool. And I, I think Slack is just a really good collaboration tool uh, I like Alexa, we're actually using voice recognition products um, for actually utilizing and leveraging HR capability. Um, I mean, there's a lot of online tools, but I think Slack and, and some of these voice products are cool examples.
0: And number four, Jay, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night?
1: I, I get, you know, I have a very good friend of mine in the last couple of years who I've spent a lot of time with, Ariana Huffington, and so I've learned a lot about sleep and the importance of sleep. And I will tell you, as a younger guy, um, I did a crappy job of of getting enough sort of restorative rest to be able to be uh, as good as I need to be. But, yeah, I get eight hours, and and I'm pretty religious about it. That's good. And what's your
0: situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? Way married, four kids. (laughs) Way married, four kids. And how old are you, Jay? I'm 56. 56. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew?
1: I wished that – I wished I would have known that I could go slower in order to go faster. I wish that I could have been uh, a little more introspective. You know, one of the things that entrepreneurs ask me a lot of times when I'm speaking is, you know, um, what's the one thing that you would really have me focus on in order for me to, you know, kind of realize all my dreams. And I think self-awareness, not self-absorption, but self-awareness is such a critical thing for people to focus on, spend time with, and really delve into, because the better you you know yourself, the better you can work with other people, and that's what makes everything go.
0: Go slower to go faster. You heard it here from Jay. Had a lot of courage to jump into Zenefits back in 2017. First week, he's right-sizing the business. He's changing the cost structure completely. A combination of those two things has put break-even and profitability in his crosshairs. The next big milestone they're going for is 100 million bucks in ARR. Now, soaring over 10,000 customers in in a market that's really a $95 billion plus market. 90% annual logo. Retention—that's gross. That's a gross number. In addition to that, fifteen to twenty percent gross revenue churn annually, but net negative. Once you add expansion back onto that, team of five hundred people based between San Fran, Arizona, Vancouver, Bangalore, and a few other locations. Zenefits HR Jay, thank you for taking us to the top.
1: Thanks, David.